four and a half years ago, we waited as our son Cruz sat on the pediatrician's table. He'd not been acting himself for days, and the doctor walked in and he shined his little light in Cruz's eyes, and he said his pupils are different sizes. This could be a result of a brain tumor, so we want to send you to the ER right now. So we're driving down I-95, and I'm telling myself, don't speed, don't speed. And the reality is, I really don't want to speed, because I'm terrified of the news that might be coming. And I remember looking back at Cruz in the back seat, and I didn't think, I didn't think why not, why him? I didn't think why me or why us? I thought, why not? My theology of suffering and my knowledge of what happens in this world told me, why not? The doctor came in after the CT scan and he said, there is no tumor. And so relief poured over us like this healing waterfall. And then the next part of our journey began that day. We're trying to figure out what's happening to him. And so over the next year, we spent way too many days in hospitals. And we held our son down as he was poked and prodded more times than I can count. Most of all of this just led to diagnostic guesses and minor solutions. During the first year of all of this, me and God were tight. Like, I remember walking the cold halls of those hospitals, feeling the warmth of God's presence for that first year. And through that first year, I had a date in my mind of when he would be better. And when that date came and went, I was mad. I was mad at God. I was bitter. But I had a job to do every week. I had to preach. And so I had to go deep into God's word sometimes while I sat in hospitals. And by doing that, I became beautifully broken. I felt sorrow that was mingled with joy. And I felt the comfort from the presence of the God who I was bitter towards. I lived in this storm-tossed sea, and the waves, they were bringing me down into the depths, but they were also mounting me high up into the comfort and joy of God's presence. And it felt like all at the same time. God's words, is God's. it felt as if God's arms were the boat that was cradling me through the storm. And I didn't want to be on that boat, but I needed to be with him, to be with the God that I was bitter towards so he could help me through it all. And today, what we're going to find is a love that will hold us through the storm. And we're in week four of this four-week series called Tell Your Story, and we've been doing something different. I've been giving you some homework. And, well, it's, this is the last week of homework. And what we're doing, what, 
This will be your fourth week, and by the end of this week, you will have written four memoirs of your life. Now, do you know what a memoir is? It is not the full story of your life. It is the story of your life through a specific lens, through a certain lens. And what Psalm 107 does today is it's going to give you four lenses as we've walked through it, four lenses to understand your story with God and how he's rescued you. And as you write this story, and please write it, I want to encourage you to do something. Be courageous as you write it. Be raw and real and let it all be right there to be seen. And if you aren't a Christian, you can still write the story. And as you write the story of God, the only question you have to answer is, do you want to be written in to that story? So here we go. Psalm 107. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3, which is basically saying, tell your story. And then I'm going to read the memoir part, and then we're going to end with verse 43. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he's redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands from the east and the west and the north and the south. Some went down in sea, in sea. Let me start over. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Now, before we start your voyage into the sea, I've got to tell you two things. First, look at verse 2. It says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. In the, in, in the NIV translation, it says, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. This is your charge from God. Write your memoir, but don't just leave it tucked away. Tell the story. It's actually a command to tell it. And then throughout Psalm 107, as you read, if you're reading in the version I'm reading, you're going to see the word some show up four times. It's talking about people. The four experiences of every Christian. Now, it would be misleading for you if you interpreted that as saying every Christian has one of these experiences. The word some isn't actually in the Hebrew. What the translators are trying to do is to try to show you, hey, look, here's a new memoir. Am I feeding back a bit? If I am, can we fix that? Now, so what I want you to see is the four memoirs 
are the experience that every single Christian has. You will experience all four of these in your life. Chapter, or your fourth memoir today begins like this. Chapter one, your peril, the seas. The imagery of water and the sea is flooded throughout the Bible. Calm waters represent life and peace. Chaotic waters represents destruction and death. And you, this is so fascinating, you, when God formed humanity, here's what happened. In Eden, there was a special underground water stream, like a mist that was coming up from the ground. The Hebrew word for it is odd. And then the dust in Eden was called Adama in Hebrew. And then what God does, like the master creator that he is, is take the dust, the Adama, and the water, odd, and he, you see the play on words? And he mushes them together and creates Adam, humanity, mankind. And what that means is you are made of that water and dust. And now watch this. That same water that's bubbling up in Eden, it bubbles up and forms rivers that go out of Eden. And the further these rivers get away from Eden, the more chaotic they become, the more violent, the more they're leading to this representation of death. So close to God in Eden is calm, life-giving waters. Far from God, away from Eden, is waters that bring about death and destruction. Now watch this. That same water you are made of. Which means when you're close to God, you're still. You're calm. You have peace. But when you're far from God, you're chaotic and you're violent. What that also means is you can be in a chaotic situation. You can be in the violent seas of suffering and pain and the perils, yet if you are close to God, you have peace. You are still. You are comforted by him in the waters of destruction. But if you are far from God, you become undone and unmade by the chaos. In our story, these sailors have found themselves in the chaotic seas of death, destruction, suffering, pain, and trials. And then the question becomes, how did they get there? Verse 26 calls it an evil plight. But the word evil is not talking about the sailors. It's talking about the situation that they are in. In fact, other translations use, call it calamity. Perils, and what that means for you is that in this situation, when you're facing suffering, trials, and pain, it's not because you did anything wrong. It's just happening to you. Now, we saw the last couple weeks that our, our sin can bring about some suffering in our life, but not in this story today. Innocent sufferers. Not that any human is innocent, but there is no sin that caused this pain that they are going through. So why are they in this storm? We are not told. And sometimes we never get a good answer for why bad things are happening. 
But I'm going to tell you something right now that's going to give you either peace or anger. And it depends how you view God and how you view God and suffering. It says God's voice commanded the sea and brought about the wind and the storm. It was him. It's comforting only if you believe that God is sovereign, loving, good, and in control and has your best in mind. And if that is the case, then that means when things bad are happening, you can trust him that he will bring about some good. In fact, your faith tells you that he, if he really is in this much control, then it is like you are living in this boat, which is his arms, and he is caring for you. And you know what that means? It means through the storm, you can have peace. Because the God who is Lord over any storm, you're in his arms. And then let me just take this one bit further and tell you God is up to something in the storm. Look at what the waves were doing. The writer of the psalm could have said the waves were going up and down and up and down, but he doesn't say that. He says that the waves mounted the sailors up to heaven. Eden is the mountain garden of God, high above the chaotic sea. And in these trials, the sailors are lifted up to get a vision of Eden that they would not have received had they not gone through the storm and through the waves. There's a longing for Eden that resides in every single one of you. You're seeking after a country you have never yet been to. You're listening for a song that you have not yet really heard. You're trying to smell of the flowers of paradise that you have yet to hold. But somehow... By the storm, we're lifted up and we get a vision of the country we long to see. We get the faint sound of the idyllic song of heaven in our ears. And we get the smell, just like the barely smell in our nostrils of these flowers of paradise. Yes, the storm brings you into despair. You already know that. What you might not know, but now do know, is that suffering has a way of lifting you up into the joy and peace of Eden while in the storm. In fact, you only receive that gift because of the storm. Now, what is it like to experience Eden while you're suffering and in pain and going through the storm. And I'm going to suppose that it's probably you don't have the words to describe it. It's a personal experience and the words always seem to escape you. Perhaps it is like walking the cold hospital halls while feeling the warmth of God's presence. 
Perhaps it is knowing somehow that everything is going to somehow be okay despite all that you're walking through. It looks like faith. Faith when you're bitter towards God even. And look at this too. It's their faith was stirring while they were at their wit's end. Meaning the wisdom that they had was being swallowed up by the intensity of the storm. The storm was too much for these seagoers. These wise seagoers. They've never seen anything like this before. And by the way, every one of you has a certain capacity for suffering. And it's usually that capacity has a lot to do with the suffering you've always experienced. But whatever the suffering is that was the most intense, that's what's brought you to your wit's end. And it makes you like a drunken sailor. You can't keep your feet. Your courage is fading. And you can't face it alone. So at your wit's end, you cry out for someone greater And faith causes you to cry out to God. Chapter two of this memoir of yours is your cry for land. And when you cry out to God, when you cry out to God, something happens. He answers. And you say, God, take me to land, please. And he says, I will. But now is not yet the time for land. Land is heaven. Land is the new Eden. And it's not time for that yet. But he does something else. He calms the sea, the raging sea within you. And he calms the sea around you. Chapter 3. God's rescuing love. He calmed the sea by, by the small hush of his voice. The waves are calmed The sea is stilled. The warm sun breaks through and thaws out the chilly fear of the sailors. And they were glad, it says. Now, gladness, look, gladness and joy are different in this context. Joy is to have the presence of God no matter the circumstances. Gladness is for God to change your difficult circumstances. First, God brings peace in difficulties. Next, he brings rest from those difficulties. First, he calms the sea in you, and then he calms the sea around you. Or sometimes he does it the other way around. He's God. There's a story of Jesus. He's sleeping on a boat, and his disciples are with him, and there is a storm. And he's just sleeping. He's calm. And that same calmness is available to you by faith in him. The disciples weren't experiencing that, so they run to him and wake him up. And then what does he do? He calms the sea. If you are suffering, if you're in pain, difficulties, he will in the middle of the difficulties give you a joy, a peace, and a strength that is only found in him. 
In fact, there is a potential that he is waiting you out to finally go to him for that strength to face the difficulty. And then he's going to calm the storm around you because he's more concerned about doing something good in you than doing something good around you. He is relentless in his work to make you holy. Then in another place, the disciples this time were alone without Christ. Out on a boat, caught in a storm. They probably need to get off the boats these days. But, you know, they're fishermen, and so they're looking for some fish. So, well, they're out there. And the storm comes, and Jesus is nowhere to be found. And then... From the shore, from the beaches, he walks out upon the waters and calms the sea. And then looks out at Peter and says, Peter, walk upon the waters with me. And it works. The miracle happens. Now, why? Like, why this miracle? I have a strong... I have, I have a strong sense that when Jesus is performing these miracles, there's always a hidden truth, a deeper meaning behind them all. So let me just unpack what, this, what I think is going on here. Eden, the mountain garden of God, is where the waters are still. But far below is the chaotic sea. And so Jesus isn't just the one who calms the sea from up on the top of the mountain, looking down upon us saying, sea, be calm. But he is the one who walks out upon the waters and is the calm in the storm. He is the mountain garden of God who walks out to us in the storm. The claim here is that he is Eden, the very presence of God, walking out on the waters to us. In fact, that imagery, as soon as we lose Eden, that imagery is riddled throughout the Old Testament. We're not at our desired haven yet, but our desired king has come to be Eden while we're away from Eden, our home away from home. And Peter walks out on the water as a symbol of walking upon Eden above the chaotic waters of sin and death. But then he sinks because he took his eyes off the king. When you're out on the sea, keep your eyes on him. He'll calm you in the storm, and then he'll calm the storm around you and give you gladness after it's been calmed. And through all of it, you have a hope in you that sees everything you desire upon the horizon. And he will bring you there one day. Most likely not this day. But even now, you can touch it. You can touch Eden. Chapter 4, your haven. Verse 30, it says, He brought you to your desired haven. So, All of your dreams, all your desires, one day, they will unfold before you. This is the future promise. But you know what? It's also a present reality in part. 
He's saying, I'm your home away from home when he walks upon those waters. In Christianity, heaven is both far and near. When Christ comes, he's the beginning of spring, of something new. The seeds of heaven are breaking through the dirt. Love is fighting through hate. Joy is fighting through sorrow. And peace is rising up in the midst of despair. And you can see the future now in part through faith. So, here you go. Faith is like a telescope. And as you look upon this, look through this telescope, on the rough, on the, on the rough seas, you get a glimpse of Eden. This promised land. In fact, the greater your faith, the greater the vision of Eden you will receive. So if you're smart, you're thinking, how do I get more faith? And the answer is through trials and storms. Face enough trials, and soon it will begin to feel like you can reach out and touch Eden. You'll be so aware that you aren't there, yet somehow you're able to reach out and touch it. It's like you know it's further away, but it's like your, your long arm is able to reach into the heavens. And that is why someone can sit in the church and be angry and bitter towards God. In three chairs over, there is someone who has a life that is ten times harder, and they feel joy and peace, and they are strong. In Christ. It's because they have learned the art of facing trials with faith. When you have faith, trials are the gift that lifts you up, mounts you up to get a glimpse of your future. The future becomes closer and closer, so much so that you begin to be able to taste it, smell it, and hear it. The man that has been transformed is the one who has learned the art of both keeping his eye on the chaotic sea in front of him. Yet at the same time, his other eye is peering through this telescope, looking out upon the land that is to come. And then, chapter 5, you well up with thanks towards God. You have thanks because God is one. He's with you in the storm, but also he's strengthening you through the storm, by the storm. The storm becomes a gift that makes you strong and wise and joyful. And, and, and this, without the storm, you never would have found that he can be a comfort in anything that you go through. And so you have thanks. And you realize by faith that there is not one ounce of suffering that he will let go to waste. There will become a purpose behind all of it. There will be meaning found in it. And then one day in the storm, the skies will part. The sun will break through. And soon, and very soon, you will be at your desired haven. So trusting in God, 
through and beyond the storm puts thanks in your heart. And then after you have thanks, it puts praise upon your lips. Praise specifically that is you telling your story. The last chapter of the last memoir tells of you telling your story through praise. Throughout this chapter, 107, praising God and telling your story are synonymous. And the reason is because the world needs your story. You're doing what you're meant to do. We are here to enjoy God and glorify him and praise him through our joy towards him that bubbles up and bursts out and erupts in praise. And so by you telling your story with a praiseful heart of how he has saved you, it means you're doing the thing that you are made for. You're at your best when you're doing that. And you will be living more like the version of you that you will one day become. The world needs your story. Because the world around you is in a storm. And your friends and your family, they're fighting. And they need your story to help them fight. They need your story to give them hope. And then it says, it ends by saying, whoever is wise, whoever's wise, let him consider the steadfast love of the Lord. This here is a challenge to believe. And it's also a challenge for you to challenge others to consider the steadfast love of the Lord. To consider our God who left his desired haven to come into the chaotic sea of suffering and death. On the cross, he is drowned under the weight of sin and death. There in the storm, he is undone and unmade, torn by the waves, broken by the wind. Buried at the bottomless sea of the trackless waste in regions dark and deep. Surrounded by everything that is vile, evil, sinister, and perverse. That's where he went. He went there to get you, but it was always his plan. He didn't lose. He made a way. He always planned to rise from the depths, to stand above the waters, so he could become the boat that keeps you up above the waters the watery waste of sin and death, and then be your captain who sails you through the storms all the way to paradise. He never lost. It was his perfect plan to victory, and it was perfect because it was the only way to give him you. And whether in life right now you are walking through the storm or he has calmed the sea, it doesn't matter you know that he is on the move and he is captaining you through 
towards the celestial shores of paradise. So go tell that story. The world needs it. Let's pray. Father, hold us, keep us. Even when we are bitter and angry, hold us still. When we run from you and fall into the waters, come and get us. Show us that you have already dove in. You're lifting us up. You're making a way. God, I pray that everyone here would know that their story is a story that's worth telling. It's a story that needs to be heard. And I pray that you would put that in their hearts. That they would be compelled out of gratitude and joy and gladness to make this story known. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider, follow our social media at Grove Church PSL, and check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.